Okay, so we want to talk a little bit about uh, the practice of family worship today uh, and the, the necessity of Christian families uh, practicing something that's been called over the centuries family prayer, uh, what that looks like, what that means, and uh, think about the, the biblical command to do this and why it's important, and then hopefully offer uh, some practical suggestions and uh, for those of you who don't have families yet or don't have kids or you're not doing this yet, uh, hopefully this will be helpful for you when that time does come. Uh, for those of you who your kid's already grown, um, for grandkids, you can apply this too, or just other people in the congregation. You know, we're all one family, ultimately, and so we want to be able to encourage each other. But uh, let's open up our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your holy day where you bring us together to receive our praise, our, our worship, our singing, our prayer, and where you speak to us from your word in law and in gospel. And we thank you, Father, for the reality that Christ, your Son, is seated upon a throne in the heavens, and that we can have courage and confidence in this life because of that. Please bless our time together now in these this short 45 minutes or so, Lord, that we would grow in our understanding and in our wisdom in terms of how to participate in daily devotions and in family prayer. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless that time that we have each day in the home especially those with little children, that uh, we would learn and grow and understand and that we would seek to bring you glory in our daily living. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so God takes the family seriously. It is the, the first real unit of humans that he creates. It's the basic building block of society. And it's something that is, is important for us as uh, Christians to understand uh, not only our duties, generally speaking, as parents, um, providing for our kids, raising them, uh, loving them, uh, but also uh, in the particular duties that we've been talking about, bringing our children to worship, as we discussed last week, uh, parenting in the pew, so to speak, uh, uh, doing those things that uh, help train them to be worshipers of the Lord, not merely to behave for that hour, hour and a half. Again, it's going to church is not like uh, going on a plane. We shouldn't think of it like that. The goal is not, well, I just want them to behave and be quiet. The goal is to train them to be worshipers. And it takes a lot of effort. It's a long-term deal, but it only lasts for a period, uh, that short period of time where we have the children uh, under our care, and we must remember always, ultimately, that these children are only on loan to us. Um, they are not ours by possession. They belong to the Lord. Uh, when, they, when you hand them over to the minister and they pass through baptism, you're saying, God, this child is yours. And then when the minister hands the child back, uh, the Lord is saying, now you care for that child until they're an adult. That's the reality. Um, we are only stewards of these children that bear our name and our DNA. That's it. That's a lot, though. That's a lot. And we, have to, we only get a little period of time there. 
Uh, and, and for those of us who've had children grow up to 18 or beyond, um, we know the old adage, it goes by so fast, it's, it's painfully true. It's, it's more true than we, we want to admit. And so what do we do at that period of time? Uh, the most important thing in terms of uh, uh, training them to be worshipers, discipling them to be Christians, the number one most important thing to the spiritual health and vitality of these children who bear our name and whom God has given to us to be stewards of is the means of grace, bringing them to church. That's the highest and most important thing we do in their life. It's more important than anything else because it's there where God has promised to bless the preaching of His Word, the administration of His sacraments. There's a promise attached to those very things. It's there that they experience the communion of saints, that they realize they are a baptized member of the spiritual family that's made up of every tongue, nation, and tribe because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's there that they grow up learning the songs of Zion, hearing God's law, confessing their sins, seeing mom and dad do so, seeing mom and dad reconcile after worship, uh, seeing them ask for forgiveness. It's there that uh, is the, the lifeline to our sanctification is in going to church. Stop going to church, you just cut your lifeline to sanctification. You cannot make up for it just by Bible reading. It will not work. Because there's no verse in the New Testament that says the means of grace is Bible reading. Bible reading's good. But when did Christians first get personal Bibles? Not even the 1500s. The Bible in the 1500s was expensive. You only owned a Bible if you were a millionaire. Or, yeah, or someone had given an endowment. Uh, the church had one. Yeah, it's really... It's, only been about 100, 150 years at most. Maybe, maybe a little further back if you were a, a wealthy family, well-to-do family. Um, uh, and so it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's good, and we're going to talk about that today in the home. But my point is, is that the most important thing, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10. And God has appointed that through the means of preaching. And so we want to help our children grow to appreciate preaching. That's why we have those things we talked about last week, why we want them to, to uh, honor the Lord's Day and to have a, a high view of the church to which they belong and the means of grace that God has provided. If we begin to criticize that in front of our children, we are actually working against their sanctification. And, uh, and as I said last week, what's the one question that our children should never, ever ask? Are we going to church today? That should just not be a question that they ever ask. Because of course I'm going to church today. That's like saying, Mom, am I going to school today? Um, Monday through Friday. Well, of course you're going to school today. Unless you're sick or, you know, in my case growing up, you had to either be unconscious or physically bleeding. Otherwise you were going to school. But the same with church. It's just, well, of course we're going to this. So it starts with us as the leaders. Now the same is true with regard to the daily the daily prayer and worship from Monday through Saturday. And that's why I have you turn to Deuteronomy 6, because this is a daily thing. So in Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomy, as you know, is the, uh, it means the second law, the second giving of the law. It's when uh, God 
retold the law that he gave in Exodus, and uh, this is just before they come into the promised land. So it's you know close to forty years uh, of wandering in the wilderness, a whole generation, and. The Shema, what's called the Hebrew Shema, because it's that word here in Hebrew. There, I've told you two Hebrew words today, hesed and Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you go into a Jewish synagogue to this day, you'll still hear this at the beginning of the, the, the service. They'll say it in Hebrew. Uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're to hear. We're to hear. The Christian organ, as, as Luther used to say, is the ear, not the eye. And I know we're turning into a whole culture of people addicted to images. We constantly do, we're training our brains to look at images. You know, an interesting side fact, um, when on our Facebook page for Christ Your See, when we post a quote, um, it, shows the re- it shows the reach for every post. It's, the reach is pretty small, usually. Um, two or three hundred at the most. When an image goes up, and it has like a quote on it, the reach is always over a thousand. That's pretty bad. We're becoming people who are training our brains to just, oh, I can't even read through two sentences. You know, just scan the picture. Ooh, picture. And uh, then... <laughs> Pass that on. Oh, I, you know, I do these things myself, and uh, so I'm also to blame. But I'm just saying that we need to hear what God's Word says, that uh, you know, the, the, it's the hearing of God's Word in church, and as we'll see here, in the home, that is so vital. It's so vital. Um, and that's becoming more and more countercultural and odd to us as Christians who live in a culture that is increasingly becoming visual and people of the eye. So it goes against us in some ways. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, God said this to Israel because they could come out of 400 years of polytheism in uh, Egypt where there were multiple gods, you know, false gods, obviously, and you prayed to uh, that particular god Uh, that had control over that part of the universe that you needed help from. So the fertility god when you needed a baby, uh, the agricultural god, the sun god, the river god, all those things. No, the Lord our God is one, God says. And then notice what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And here's the family worship part. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So it's picturing this daily living where the word of God is to permeate the life of the family. It's not only on Sunday, the Lord's Day, when we come to hear the word but there's to be this daily, you know, rising up, sitting down, uh, walking on the way, etc., that, uh, that where, the, where the Word is a part of our lives. In verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Uh, you, th- this is actually why the, um, you'll see Orthodox Jews wearing those phylacteries, 
if you've ever seen an Orthodox Jew, maybe in the, the airport in, in black, and then sometimes you know, they have the curls, and then sometimes they'll have something that's in, on, in leather wrapped around their wrist, or they'll even sometimes have it on their forehead, like this little box. Anybody ever seen that before? Uh, you'll see it next time you're in the airport. Uh, that, it refers to this. Because they, they have been trying to keep the law, have put the, the command inside the little box and strapped it to their head. That's not exactly what God meant. What he means is this needs to be, it needs to be on the forefront of your mind. It needs to be in your heart. You know, it needs to be bound on your wrist in a, in a, in a, in a metaphorical sense. Um, and so, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so the idea here is that the word would permeate Israel as a nation and in the home as a family. That did not supersede or replace the need for weekly worship. Indeed, there was weekly worship. God has appointed that. Um, But there was also to be uh, this time in the home in which there was explanation, in which there was uh, teaching and reading. And uh, in, during the feasts, uh, like the Feast of Passover, for example, where they would remember the mighty acts of God in redemptive history. In that case, they would remember, the Israelites would, when God had rescued them from that tenth plague that he reigned upon Egypt when uh, he told them to put blood over the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and the lintel of their house and uh, his angel would pass over that house that was covered by blood, and uh, that was where Passover came from. And they were to explain these things, all of which, of course, were pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, by whose blood we are covered so that we don't receive God's wrath. But explanation in the home, or reading and hearing, was to go on. Then in the New Covenant, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we see Paul, as he's addressing this church in Ephesus, that's made up mostly of Gentiles. Uh, he's addressing the various people in the congregation, wives, husbands, and then he comes to chapter 6 and he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fantastic verse because, number one, he's recognizing the children in the congregation as members of the congregation. The Apostle Paul recognizes the children of believers as members of the congregation, and he addresses them. And so this is another argument for seeing children as uh, members of God's covenant community, and therefore they ought to be baptized. But also, he applies the law where it's the moral law to these Christians in the New Covenant who were even Gentiles, talking about the fifth commandment. Then look at verse 4. It says, fathers, and the word he uses there could be translated fathers and mothers, but it's particular to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, that verse, of course, means, what does it mean to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Well, the discipline of the Lord, of course, teaching them the boundaries of God's law, 
of what God commands us to do in the home. Our kids need to see that we are, we, we are believers and we submit to the king. And that means we, we order our priorities in life according to God's word, not just according to our personal tastes, but it starts with God's word. And that's, again, why we go to church on Sunday, because the Lord commands it. And it honors the Lord. And, and so as for me and my house, as Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. Uh, bringing them up in the discipline of the Lord also means disciplining them when they, when they need it. Um, and that's everything that the Bible has to say in that regard, particularly in the book of Proverbs uh, that is written specifically to young men, uh, but is very well applied uh, to children as they're growing up and needing wisdom. Uh, that's part of what it means to raise them in the discipline of the Lord and uh, to, to love them as well. Discipline is not done in anger, but it's done in love. And there's both positive and negative discipline. It's, negative would be when you have to punish, but positive discipline is, okay, come on, we're going to do this because it's right and it's good. Um, even saying go brush your teeth is a form of discipline. Um, you know, okay, let's, let's get dressed and go, let's get in the car is a form of discipline. Um, and it's all to be done in love. But he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, some of you might remember, too, that that word discipline uh, is even more particular to, um, to nourishment. It's bring them up in the nourishment of the Lord. Uh, the discipline and the instruction is talking about that nourishment that he, he brings up in verse 29 of chapter 5 when he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And so the nourishment that comes to children, spiritually speaking, is through the word of God. And how we have understood this, particularly in the Protestant and Reformed tradition, is that ancient uh, practice of family prayer, and what we call family worship. And so finding time, it's not, in other words, it's not just uh, speaking, uh, you know, uh, speaking here and there throughout the day of uh, God's promises, God's truth. Those things are good. Those things are important. But at what time are we ensuring that our children are coming into contact with those most important disciplines of the Christian, such as prayer and learning the Word of God. You shall teach these things to your children, Deuteronomy 6 says. Paul picks up on that here. And he's saying, bring them up in the instruction, the nourishment of the Lord. And so this is where the the practice of family worship uh, or family prayer comes in. And uh, it's so important, this, this practice. Um, uh, many people have asked me, you know, is there, is there some good training tool uh, on how to do this? And there are. There are some training tools. Um, you know, a couple books that I'd recommend. Uh, there's one by Terry Johnson, uh, a Presbyterian minister in South Carolina, I believe. No, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. Uh, called the Family Worship Book, and uh, it's excellent. He gives a, a very good argument for doing family worship, uh, reasons why, 
how to get started then. And then he gives uh, like a little liturgy that you can have. I don't think you need to follow all of that. Um, and some of it is really not unnecessary. But definitely uh, the, the idea and the practice of having this regular time and his arguments for why doing it, why we should do it, are outstanding. And then he also includes in the back uh, all 150 psalms, a, uh, a, a plan for singing many hymns, teaching your kids hymns, teaching them the catechism, because his argument is you got 18 years. You got 18 years. That's it. How much do you want to cover in those 18 years? How many times do you want to go through the Bible? How many times do you want them to go through the catechism and learn it? How many psalms and hymns do you want them to memorize? And, and that's where it, it's the parent's responsibility to bring them to church, and yes, they're going to hear these things, but how many of them are they, are they committing to memory that they're going to carry with them the rest of their life? How much of that catechism is being reinforced in the home? So yeah, the catechism teacher is maybe assigning catechism questions. There's some, they're assigned in here. Are we following through as parents, though, to train our children in the instruction of the Lord? Uh, you got them for 18 years. And his, he makes a very good argument that think of the cumulative effect of 18 years of, as a family, Monday through Saturday, having just 15 minutes of opening the Bible, hearing the Bible, um, praying as a family, and maybe seeing a catechism question, and maybe even singing a hymn. How, how, mu- how much are they going to uh, receive over those 18 years? Compare that to the modern idea of, well, send the kid to youth group and send them off to a retreat once a year. It, you can't compare the two. And the way I look at it is this. We come to Sunday for morning and evening worship for the, the deep gardening of our souls. That's where things are being plowed up by the law. That's where planting's going on. That's where deep watering is going on. Now, through the week, what do you do with your garden? If you live in San Diego, you've got to water it a little bit, right? We're all experiencing this now and going to drought-tolerant yards because if you don't water your yard, uh, you know what it looks like. It's just dirt. And so family worship, I look at it like the sprinklers kicking on, you know, for just those two minutes uh, each day so that the grass remains green so that our children are being saturated with the word, so that they're being catechized, so that their minds are being renewed. Because the truth is, the culture is going to catechize them. They're being catechized by Kim Kardashian, guys. They're being catechized by all the stuff in the world. Now, one method is, oh, you gotta, you gotta you know, cut all that off. Okay, no, no, we're not going to have any internet. We're not going to have any TV. You're going to have any, okay, and you can do that, but guess what? It's still out there. And the heart that's sinful is still going to go find it. And they're still going to come into contact. And that's besides not the answer. The answer is not, let's go be monks and run off to and join a monastery. As Luther learned, I thought I, could do, I thought I could get rid of sin by going into solitary. And then when I went into solitary, I brought the old rascal in with me. 
And uh, that's the same thing with our children. They're going, they're, they're in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. The question is, how are they going to think in the world? How are they going to learn about who God is, what creation is, where it's all going, who Christ is, who they are as image bearers, and what they are to do to glorify the Lord? How are they going to learn how, what their role is in the world and in the church? Only by the word. The world's catechizing them, saying, you belong to this age, so live it up. The world's catechizing them to say, you know, uh, the LBGT agenda is right, and, uh, you know, all gods are the same, and, you know, and we can mock and scoff and say, well, those are the radical liberals, blah, 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 blah. That's not going to catechize them. The word is going to catechize them. The word is going to catechize them. And so they come on Sunday, and that's why we talked about following up. Following up. If my kids aren't learning the word and they're not responding well to the sermon, what am I doing to help them understand as a parent? I can't blame the preaching. What am I doing? And what's my role as a parent in terms of asking them, okay, so... Who was the bad guy in the story? To? First of all, what chapter was it? Oh, it was 2 Samuel 10. Good. Encourage him. And, uh, and so what happened there? You'd be surprised at how much they pick up. And how is David like Christ? What did Christ do for us? Where is Christ right now? Is he ruling and reigning? You know, following up with the sermon. Following up. Morning and evening. The cumulative effect of 18 years of that of going to church is huge. Then during the week, what are we doing Monday through Saturday? Um, here's my, my recommendation, and this is by no means the law. I mean, you can tweak it and find what works for you, but in terms of how to do family worship, I highly recommend you find a time that works for you and your family. Pick a time where you're all there. Today, that's hard, especially when you get teenagers, because, you know, one's at football, one's at violin, one's over here, one's over there. Okay, I get it. But then if we never have time where everybody's under the roof together to eat a meal, I suggest reevaluating what you're trying to accomplish. Because nowadays, we're told that in order to make our kids well-rounded, and successful, they got to participate in a gazillion things. And then they got tons of homework nowadays. And that's another story about the way kids are being educated. Um, and so how are we doing this? And then if they have chores, or maybe if they're uh, a, uh, a teenager and they have a part-time job, it's difficult to find time. But we've got to aim for that. We've got to aim for a time where, as a family, we actually see each other and we're human. We sit down at a table. And I, and I plead with you, parents. I plead with you. This is not legalism. This is just wisdom. I plead with you. Let it be human the way God has made it human, where you have conversation and you turn off the technology. We have to turn off that technology, at least at the mealtime, so that our kids aren't growing up with seeing us do this. Because we're training them when we do that. You might get mad at me for saying that, and to be honest, I really don't care. Uh, I think it's right, 
and I think later you'll thank me for it. Just turn it off. If you can't turn it off during dinner, something's wrong. And I, I'm to blame. I've done it myself. My kids call me out on it all the time. They're great at being Pharisees. And uh, so you, you, you get it out there and say, okay, we're going to have a rule here at dinner time. We're going to drop the technology. Dad, sorry, someone's texting. It's, you know, this person's in the hospital. Well, you told us not. You're right, you're right. And, uh, you know, they know I'm a sinner. Trust me. They know. Uh, but we still have to aim for it and turn the box off. Everything's about staring at a screen. And, guys, we've got to be human. We've got to have table fellowship. We've got to have a time. So eat together. Eat a meal. We are all sitting down together. Not one guy standing and eating over a sink, and then 30 minutes later, somebody else, you know, eating over here. Sit down together if you can. Look at, look at, the, look at the way meals are so central throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Food and mealtime is something that God delights in. He's even appointed a sacrament having to do with a meal, and he calls it a supper where we all come together, which you can't get over the Internet. And so we have to have the time, and then at, maybe at that time, uh, as we've done in our home, not that the Browns by any stretch do everything right, but um, our kids have grown up knowing that uh, you don't get down from the table. That's just... It's just what you do. You eat, and then once everybody's done, um, we have a stack of Bibles, and they pass them out. The kids have grown up knowing this is what you do. Usually the youngest one grabs them and passes them out, and then we just we read through the Bible one chapter at a time. They're being exposed to the Word of God. They're being catechized in the truth. And it's fighting against. It's the antibiotic against all the Kim Kardashian catechism. I'm just using that as an example. You know, um, you put whatever you want, whoever the newest person is, okay, um, saying that this is how you need to live your life. Um, they're getting the antidote. And you let God speak. And dads, you don't have to turn it into a Bible study. I, I recommend that you do not. Let the pastor do that. He's trained. He's ordained. You don't have to you know, whip out Calvin's commentary and bore the snot out of your kids. Um, there's some kids that have grown up hating family worship because dad's trying to live up to something. You don't have to do that. Uh, read the Bible. Read it. If the, maybe ask a question or two. Sometimes it's crickets. That's okay. It's God's word. And then you pray. And we look at the bulletin because we pray for our spiritual family. We don't just pray for ourselves and mom and dad and our immediate family. We're part of a spiritual family. And so you have all these prayer requests here. You see that it's, it's inter intersecting with their lives. They begin praying for Gail Palmer or for Francois Sanderson. And then they see Francois in church. Worlds colliding. You see. They're part of a local church. This is dying in our day and age. I urge you, Christians, to do this. I urge you. This is, this is the, the, the tradition of Reformed piety. And uh, 
and then ask them a catechism question or two, and that's it. it should, all of that should take reading a chapter, prayer, and a couple catechism questions. In, in my house, it takes 10 to 15 minutes. 15 minutes out of 24 hours. 15 minutes. Now, I suggest not letting it go too long. Again, otherwise, it's like, Dad, I got homework. Dad, I got dishes. Dad, I got, you know, just 15 minutes. Let the sprinklers kick on and come off. But what it requires from us as parents is consistency. It requires us to man up, men, to man up. And it's easier to man up today. You know why? When it's a tight spot in the ball game, pause. I can freeze the picture. And we go eat. And then I can return and catch up on it later. We can bend time <laughs> to our uh, advantage. But I urge you to be consistent with it. Sometimes it'll be great. As some of you know who do catechism or do the family worship in the hall, you know, there's all of a sudden, oh yeah, dad, this happened. And then suddenly they're talking about how they saw something from scripture in a movie that they watched. Or yeah, you know, Bobby said at school the other day that, uh, you know, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And, and then you, you launch into this wonderful conversation that's totally organic and it just flows. And, and in those times, yeah, you know, just, just run with it. Let it go. And maybe you end up talking for 30 minutes. If not, it's okay. Just pray, and that's it, and send everybody you know, to do the dishes and go back to the ball game and that kind of thing. But be consistent with it. Be consistent. Make it a regular habit, a regular practice. Just as our kids shouldn't say, are we going to church today on Sunday, which is an indication that there's something wrong in the home, that, there are pri- that our priorities as parents are wrong. You know, I believe our kids should never ask, um, are we going to... Are we, doing, are we going to read tonight? Are we going to, or, or walk off from the table, you know, or act like, what now? We're going to do this again? Uh, that it has to be a regular practice. As regular as going to work in the morning, going to school in the morning. It's just part of who we are in our life. It doesn't have to be laborious. It doesn't have to be too difficult. Um, and I really recommend just sticking to those sim- simple things. There are a lot of books. A lot of people have made money off of books Four devotions, and you can read those. Star Mead has written some that are fantastic. But honestly, I don't recommend them. I don't recommend those. I recommend the Bible. Bible wins. It always wins. Um, just take them through the Word of God. I, I got them for 18 years. I don't have time to read a devotional book that somebody wrote about the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. But they don't understand everything. That's okay. And, you got, and especially if you've got multiples you know, from 2 to 15 or whatever. Just let the Word do its work. And uh, maybe connect it to somehow to something and pray, and, and that's it. Some I know like to sing a hymn. Um, I know the, the Brindis family, they, they sing hymns regularly, and I love, I'm so encouraged watching these little guys uh, right here in this, this row with their hymnals closed and their hands down, and they're singing a hymn or a psalm from heart. It's that one family in the church, you know, it's like, <laughs> they're showing us that this is possible. <laughs> It'd be so much easier if it wasn't possible. And, uh, you know, again, maybe you find that, okay, you know, 
not going to do that. I think it's great. Or other, other families, you, have your, you kind of develop your own tradition as a family. Um, uh, you know, the, the, we, we have families over for dinner a lot, and they kind of see how we do things, and then we'll go and have dinner at other families. We see how they do things. And I remember there was one family where all the kids, they sang the Gloria Patri, you know, right after devotion. I thought it was great. And, uh, you know, you kind of develop your own tradition, you know. But just keep it centered on the Word of God, prayer, little catechism. Keep it simple. Keep it fun. Keep it short. And what you get after 18 years is invaluable. It's inv- you can't put a price tag on it. They will have gone through the Bible so many times. They'll, know, they'll be able to navigate their way through Scripture. And, 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 and every single Christian college and seminary will tell you today that every year the basic Bible knowledge of young adult Christians is getting worse. It's getting worse. And yet we've got more versions of the Bible on our phones and in print. You've got every niche market you can find for middle-aged white guy who's married, middle-aged white guy who's single-study Bible, uh, young uh, you know, African-American uh, hip-hop Bible, uh, whatever study Bible there is. It's just crazy, the stuff that we're trying to... And we have less knowledge of the Bible. Less knowledge of the Bible. Let's let the next generation gain that knowledge. But it takes work. But I'm arguing that this is more important. This is more important than your kid's grades in algebra. I would rather see a kid get a C in algebra and know the Bible after 18 years than him be valedictorian and ah, doesn't really know the Bible. Any day. Any day. What's really, what really matters? What's most important? What our culture says is important or what God says is important? Of course, what would be best is if he's valedictorian and knows the Bible. But, uh, but you get the idea. And so, any questions or thoughts on that? Right. Right. Well, I know. And that's, I've had a lot of parents feel bad, horrible, that, man, I missed out on this. Um, we don't know the answers as why God does what he does in helping us understand something at the time in our life. But what you know now, um, you can pass on to your grandkids. Uh, or you can also just be a, a, a sister in the church to encourage others, you know, and and, and the same is true even for an individual, Angela. You know, um, that's one of the reasons I put the um, Bible reading program out every year, just, just to give us a guide. Not that you have to follow that one, but just to give us something that's a guide for individuals and families so that we are regularly reading. I think the same is true in many ways with the individual. If I don't, if I don't schedule a time to pray and to read, the chances are I'm not going to. I'm only going to pray that quick 30-second prayer in the shower or on my way to work, mainly out of guilt or out of desperation because I can't find my keys or something. And, um, and that's not good. That's not good. That's really weak and shallow and bad. You know, I need to have time where I'm praising God, confessing my sins, supp- uh, bringing supplication and intercession to him. And so I schedule. So that's one of the things I think you can do. Other thoughts or 
questions about family worship? Yeah, Roy. You're speaking from experience, I take it. So, <laughs> yep. Forced. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with what Roy said more that. Uh, for those listening, it's an opportunity where we're basically forced to, where we're confronted with the Word of God, and it, and it aids uh, our reconciliation with each other. And uh, this is why in premarital counseling, I, I always encourage the couples to get in the habit of when you're reading the Bible together, praying, hold hands. It's harder to do that when you're upset at your spouse. And here's the thing, guys. I speak from experience. There are times where, you know, you know, I'm upset or there's tension, you know, and then you know, oh, we've got to read now. And you've got to open up the Bible. And, and, and it's harder to stay angry at someone when you know that, just like it is on Sunday. So it is an, it's an opportunity to, for us to be reconciled with one another as we're confronted with the Word. It's so important, guys. It's so important. It's just, it's invaluable. We, and we need that. Another thing, too, I want to point out is that I know it's difficult when the kids are little, especially if you've got multiples, and you're like, you have this picture, you know, like this, this is in your mind. This picture here, this, you know, picture looks like from the maybe early 1800s, late, late 18th century, maybe. The child here, he's in perfect submission. And he's, uh, he's listening. Mom's hand is resting, kind of caressing his hair. Father is, is, you know, listening carefully to the grandfather who's got a little one. Sometimes it is like that. I'll be honest, in my home, it's often like that, by God's grace. But um, when they're little, as you know, it's not always like that. Uh, you know, when there's one crying, one screaming, one's upset, and you've got to remember, the devil is working overtime. He does not want that to happen. He wants you to be catechized by TV, by the Internet, by iPhone, by Kim Kardashian. He does not want you to be catechized by the Word of God. And, uh, and so sometimes we get frustrated. Everything's, ah, it's chaos, right? Um, okay, just keep it shorter. Maybe don't do a chapter when you've got a toddler. Maybe you do just a little pericope, you know, one section. As they get older, it's different. And again, you develop your own traditions. In our, our home, chapters div- divided up, you know, by, by paragraphs, pericopes. And so we go around now and read, once your kids can all read. Um, and so we do that, and that's been a blessing. But just hang in there is the point I'm making. Even when they're little and things are chaotic, eventually, believe, me, believe it or not, eventually it'll look like this. Because you know why? They're used to it. They're used to it. Just like kids are like, I don't want to go to bed when they're little. They act like it's torture. And then eventually, they get used to it and everything else. And uh, the same is true with this. Especially if you're starting out later in life. If, you know, uh, maybe your kids are already a certain age and you're going to start this. Prepare for resistance. 
It's going to be met with some resistance. It's going to be, be about as fun for them as going to the dentist. Maybe less. Uh, at least you get a toy going to the dentist. Um, but it's, it's necessary. It's important. It's far more important that we as fathers do that than to you know, teach our, our sons all the other important things that are, that are general in life. You know, how to hit a baseball, how to ride a bike, how to drive a car, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's good. But this is even more important. And so I want to encourage us to, to make time for that practice. Carve out time each day and, uh, and just say, this is what we're going to do. And then moms and dads, last thing, moms and dads, be supportive of each other. Mom, be supportive of dad who's trying his best. Dad, don't be lazy. You take the lead. Don't let mom lead. And just say, this is what we're going to do. It's, it's not... It isn't difficult. It's not. It, the most difficult thing is just saying, I'm going to do it. So, as Nike says, just do it. Just do it. Just get started and, and do it. Uh, don't, don't waste another day and, and start doing it because you only got them for that little bit of time. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, the time together of exhortation and consideration. We pray, Lord, that we would... We would grow from this, Lord, and that we would be helped in the home as we seek to worship you, to pray, to hear your word. We pray, Father, for the the little ones. And help us not to shirk our responsibilities as parents, Lord. These children are too precious to you and too valuable. And may they be a generation that knows your word and that is familiar with life in your church. And may they see the wonders of the gospel worked out even in their own families' lives. Protect us from the enemy. Give us diligence. Help us, Lord, uh, where we need to be faithful. Strengthen us by your Spirit. And may you bless these children to your glory. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.